0: This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor.
1: And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Thursday the 4th of March and this is the one year anniversary of Coronacast. We started on the 4th of March 2020.
0: Happy anniversary, baby. It feels like less than a year and also somehow a lifetime.
1: Feels like a decade. Anyway, let's get on with the job.
0: Well a year ago we would have loved the idea that we would ha- we- that vaccines would be going into the arms of Australians which they have been over this past week or two. So more and more Australians are getting vaccinated. There's been talk of the idea of a vaccine passport to allow people to be able to to move more freely than they might have otherwise been able to when they weren't vaccinated. But we also, there are things we don't know about how long immunisation lasts. There's questions of privacy or or personal freedoms. Norman, is there much point in the idea of a vaccine passport, especially when we don't actually know how long vaccines are going to be effective for?
1: I think the infrastructure is worth putting in place because for many years we had paper versions of a similar thing to yellow fever and, and you know a really long time ago smallpox certain countries and I think certain countries in Africa still insist that you have yellow fever immunization and you get a certified little card saying that you've got it but the yellow fever is a bit simpler than than SARS-CoV-2 which comes in various forms and new variants are emerging however It's probably not a bad idea that you have some electronic record of which vaccine you've had at what point and uh, whether you've completed that course so that you've got it on record. So that should countries open up, then you've got that recorded. But there are many, many issues here. So for instance, let's take Israel, for example. Israel's effectively got an internal vaccine passport, which gives you access to certain venues um, in, in Israel. One of the motivations for that in Israel was actually to counter what has been a lot of anti-vax resistance. Israel's got a huge ultra-Orthodox population. That population's been resistant to immunisation of any kind. So Israel's trying to create motivation to get the vaccine done, and that's why they've got a passport.
0: So in Israel, they're they're trialling this as a a carrot as well as a bit of a stick. We already have records of our vaccination history. You can get it through your Medicare online.
1: Yes, because we have the Australian Immunisation Register, and everybody who actually gets immunised will have that recorded. So technologically, it's fairly straightforward. The question is, how much it will really open up the world.
0: It is interesting with Australia because we have this weird luxury where we we don't really have any virus in the community at all. And the countries that we're used to looking to for advice or examples are big countries like the US and the UK, which is a completely different scenario there. The virus is so rampant over there and the way that they're gonna approach it isn't necessarily gonna work for how we approach it.
1: No, and the the vaccine passport is very specific to travel really, apart from the Israeli situation where they're using it as a motivation to get vaccinated. So the key to the vaccine passport is do, do the vaccines reduce transmission? We know from the clinical trial that Astra does reduce transmission at about half the rate of efficacy. So if the efficacy is around 82%, it reduces transmission by about 40%. And when we say reducing transmission, it's an assumption because people in the trial at that rate didn't get asymptomatic infection. So not only did it reduce symptoms it also reduced asymptomatic infection and the assumption is there's nothing special about the astra vaccine the pfizer vaccine and moderna vaccines are more effective it's likely that they will reduce transmission as well and maybe by about a half as well so it's not a complete reduction in transmission the novavax study also looked at uh, asymptomatic infection it does seem to reduce asymptomatic infection yet to be absolutely proven. And there's a little bit of a hint from the Israeli figures that there is reduced transmission. So the question for governments is, is 40 or 50% reduction in transmission enough? Because if you open up our borders to people who've been immunized overseas, if they come in with a virus, then there's only a 50% reduction in risk of transmission. So half the people coming in with the virus could transmit it. And that might be higher if you come in with a variant.
0: But it is better than nothing.
1: It is better than nothing. And the question is, are we willing to build around that? So in other words, if you come in with a vaccine passport, you're at lower risk. You do swabs before you get on the plane. You do swabs after you get off the plane. But maybe you could do home quarantine for a week and do swabs there. There are ways around this that could actually mitigate the risk even further.
0: Right. So it becomes part of a portfolio. And speaking of vaccines reducing transmission risk, we were talking on the podcast just a couple of days ago about, well, you said, Norman, that in addition to protecting our border workers with the Pfizer vaccine, we should also be protecting their families. And it sounds like at least New South Wales has announced that they are going to do just that.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic news and just makes a lot of sense. It just increases the um, the the barrier between us and people coming in overseas and also protects those families against COVID-19. So it does two things. And the assumption is, particularly if they're using the Pfizer vaccine, is that they will pretty dramatically reduce the risk of transmission.
0: And a more mechanical question about the vaccine, Norman. Len is asking, can you have the injection in the bum instead of in the arm? When I was growing up, the bum was a swear word in our house. Yeah. So I feel naughty saying it.
1: So let's be proper about it, into the buttocks. (laughs) Can you get it into the buttocks? I think the problem with the buttocks is that it's a, it's a variable part of your body. So some of us have fat buttocks, some of us have thin buttocks. <laughs> and if you've got fat buttocks, then there could be a long way to go before you hit muscle.
0: And it is an intramuscular injection,
1: not a... This is an, that's right. So the thing about the arm is the muscle is near the skin and the standard size needle. So I remember when I was um, you know a junior doctor and you were having to give an injection into the buttock. First of all, it's more painful. But second of all, you had to use quite a long needle to make sure that you actually got into the muscle so i think it's too variable is really the the question is really the issue
0: and some feedback from nicole she's saying thanks for explaining the vaccines Uh, one of her friends was listening to family and had decided not to get the vaccine but nicole sent her the link to our podcast and now she's reconsidering so thanks nicole for sharing and nicole says thanks for the past year
1: that's fantastic news and just it's worth still clarifying you know the position which we think is evidence-based that we've been push, pushing forward, which comes from people we talk to, which is that you know we're being typified as saying we're down on the Astra vaccine. We're only down on the Astra vaccine for protecting our borders, so hotel quarantine workers, airport, and so on, and their families, because it works faster, it works within three weeks. And secondly... Um, It's more likely from the laboratory evidence we've got to protect against variants like the South African variant, at least at the moment, whereas the Astra doesn't. For the rest of us, Astra is good at presenting serious and severe disease. That's what we should have. And we'll get a booster, no doubt, to one of the multivalent vaccines later on in the year, which will protect us against the circulating variants. And that's when the border can open up. And that's when a vaccine passport makes a lot of sense to show that you've actually had that vaccination.
0: That's right. Both of the vaccines that have been approved so far in Australia by the Therapeutics Good Administration have been through a really rigorous independent Um, Safety and efficacy review. And Patricia's just writing in to say, we were talking the other day about a young lady who was planning a pregnancy. She was a a border worker. And Patricia has said there's actually a decision-making guide for women put out by the Australian government to help them decide about pregnancy and breastfeeding. That's on the Department of Health website, but we'll put it on our website too so that you can find it if that's something you're interested in looking at.
1: And the bottom line here is breastfeeding... It's pretty safe and not something to really worry about, whereas pregnancy, it, it is worth thinking about because there isn't a lot of evidence one way or the other, although in the United States, they say that they haven't had any problems, but it's early days.
0: Well, that's all we've got time for on Coronacast today. Thanks for listening to us over the past year.
1: Yes, and uh, keep coming with your questions. We have lots of you still downloading Coronacast, as many as ever, actually and asking questions and making comments and to do that you go to abc.net.au slash coronacast and mention coronacast and we will see you for our one year and one day anniversary edition tomorrow see you then